0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle-Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part conversation with psychologist and author, Dr. Lou Cozzolino about his latest book, The Development of a Therapist.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you from here at Chaddock and excited to introduce our guest for today. I think it's going to be a very familiar name to many of you. And if you aren't aware of his work, I hope that you will look into him after this podcast. So my guest for today is Dr. Lou Casolino, And he has a diverse clinical background and multiple research interests. He holds degrees in philosophy, theology, and clinical psychology. Is that not a great combination? His interests are in the areas of the synthesis of neuroscience with psychotherapy, education management, and leadership. He is the author of 10 books, including The Neuroscience of Psychotherapy, The Neuroscience of Human Relationships, timeless and attachment-based teaching, the making of a therapist, and why therapy works. He has also authored and co-authored articles and book chapters on child abuse, schizophrenia, education, language, and cognition. He lectures around the world on brain development, evolution, and psychotherapy. And he also maintains a clinical and consulting practice in Los Angeles. So stay tuned he is going to be coming right up and he is going to be speaking with us about two of his books the making of a therapist and a newer release the development of a therapist and we are going to be talking about that from an attachment perspective so stay tuned well, hello everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. And I am here to uh, continue our conversation with Dr. Luke Casolino about the development of a therapist. So, thank you so much for continuing with us.
2: My pleasure.
1: Yes. So, you know, some of the things that we were talking about last time in terms of the therapist and attachment history and current ways therapists are being trained things that have evolved over the years and one of the things I wanted to delve into a little bit more in this second part is more about this idea of technique versus this broader understanding of what we are to be as therapists and I was one of the things that I think about a lot is this idea of going to all of these workshops and going, because I was that. I was like the anxious, like perfectionist therapist, like a workshop junkie. Um, I'm trained in EMDR, I'm trained in TheraPlay, I'm trained in TFCBT, I'm trained in child parents. And, you know, I had a mentor in my life, Michael Trout, who really helped me realize like, Karen, that is just not where it's at. And it's being able to, and and you talk about this, how to handle not knowing, Mm -hmm. wondering, curiosity. And I think a lot of this compulsion to get these certifications is about our own insecurity as therapists. And I'm wondering about your thoughts about that.
2: Well, I, I think that's what, that's what all of the, um, I don't know, the assembly line workshops, yes. I mean what they, that's what the certificates yes. right, are what they sell and the certificates are an attempt, I mean they're band-aids for feeling like an imposter. And so I can, always, I can always tell how insecure someone is by how many letters and initials and things that they have underneath. You know, at the base of their emails, they've got like you know almost like a little short story with all of the things that they're they're expert in and all of that stuff. Um, and it really it's, it's I think it's two, uh, it's two problems. One is the sort of the monetization of knowledge, right, in training that's happened right and the real inadequacies of the universities or the programs that are supposed to be training people and giving their degrees the problem now is people you get a degree and you don't know anything you just like you 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 go through a series of classes that are often just you know like watered down versions of of other of other kinds of things you don't really learn what you need to learn when you're in when you get your degree and you go out and you get licensed and you're sitting with clients and you go I don't know what I'm doing right, right? And, and then, then so- that's
1: when you start signing up for all these workshops
2: right exactly exactly <laughs> and 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 all the people that sell these workshops know it that's how they make their bread and butter right in fact, a number of there have been a number of times where people have said, "Okay, do a you know do a training and we'll give people a certification that they're Luke Casolino trained." And I say, "Well, no, I don't know, I don't no certifications. <laughs> no, please, I don't I want bet, I
1: bet they don't like that.
2: They, well, they don't like it. But you know, and you know, and some will say, "Well, we, we're not going to do it because they know that unless they give some piece of paper that looks like some kind of a diploma that people can put on their walls, that they won't get the turnout." That they want, but it's my way of not participating in that, you know, um, not that I'm innocent in this whole thing, but it's, it's my way to resist that to some degree. Like what I really, you know, like I've been, it's funny, I've been, I've been negotiating with my publishers lately. I wanted to write, I want to write a book, a follow up to the development of a therapist called Becoming a Trauma Therapist, right? Yeah. And what I want to give, what I it, think of it almost like a, as an app. In other words, here are the things you need to know, here are the trainings, the possible trainings, right? But the, the important thing for you to understand are the basics of psychotherapy. Yes. And the particular trainings and techniques fit into a much larger framework, a much larger understanding and a training of what psychotherapy is. But they're not psychotherapy, they're techniques, right? Yes. I mean, think of what Francine Shapiro did with the NDR. Right, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting technique. It's an interesting discovery, but then she she plugs it into a, a you know a CBT framework, and she says here it's a trauma therapy, right? It's like it's not enough. You know, you get trained in EMDR, and you if you get really difficult trauma cases, you're going to be flying by the seat of your pants most of the time, because you're not prepared to see serious trauma cases right you can't just be trauma informed you have to be trauma infused you have to like soak in trauma for years before you really understand it and are able to treat it right you've got to be going and you have to go through your own therapy you should never treat trauma cases unless you've been in your own therapy right but that's what they sell that's what people do and that's when they call me and say holy crap i just had a patient suicide I'm getting, you know, I'm going to get sued for malpractice, blah, 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 blah. Um, it, it's It really is not, I think it really is the fault of the profession and the lack of oversight and the, uh, the compartmentalization of the schools and the trainers and all of these things that really put students and certainly our patients at risk.
1: This is... I feel like I want to like jump up and down and like (laughs) wave a banner endorsing this. I mean, this is so important. I mean, one of the things that you said in, in one of your books, we are developing confused therapists who are bouncing from one guru to another.
2: Yeah. Right. I, I think that's what it is I remember going through school every one of my professors I would go I would have like in a day three classes I would go from a, a psychodynamic therapist to a CBT person to a, you know to a family systems person and each one of them were it was like they each had their Bible and they were trying to they, instead of trying to teach me how to learn how to do therapy they were teaching me how to learn their perspective and their techniques and we need more and that's really why I went to neuroscience, because everyone has a brain. And no matter and no matter what no matter what type of therapy you choose to do, you have to stimulate and activate neuroplasticity and learning. So you have to understand the basics of how the brain does that, and you have to have a broad context for the therapeutic relationship into which you can choose which techniques to plug in. Right? Yes. Maybe. Think about, think about doing EMDR. You get some people that come in and, and they do EMDR after being in other, other types of therapy. And, oh, my God, it helps them so much. It's like, oh, look at this. It's like yes. it really is changing the way their brains are processing information. This is right. great. But then what do you do with all the clients that come in that look at you wagging your finger and go, oh, get the hell out of here, you know? Or or just like, just humor you and then never come back again. Right. It's like we need a deeper level of understanding of what, of what therapy is and what brain changes.
1: Yes. You know, and so I'm, I'm thinking of my own experience and the one therapy that was the least technique oriented of any therapy that I've been trained in is child parent psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember in the workshops with um, Alicia Lieberman and Patricia Van Horn, everybody, it's almost like we couldn't hardly stand it. We kept saying, like, we don't know if we're doing it. Right. Because we are so, like, I think, looking back on this and what you're saying, so technique, like, give me a manual, give me a checkbox, give me a something. And um, I remember I was – I mean, I've, I've grown since that. But I remember I said to somebody asked, you know, Patricia Van Horn, like, how do we know if we're doing this therapy? Like, we, you know, I, I don't know. We need a different fidelity checklist or something. And she said, read I and thou.
2: Uh-oh.
1: Right. That is how you will know if yeah. you are good at this. And yeah. at, uh, it all – I almost couldn't even wrap my brain around it. I'm like, what are you talking about?
0: (laughs)
2: Right.
1: So I'm Googling it, you know, and you know, where do I buy this? It's old and it's, it's, you know. Who's
2: Martin Martin Booby? Who is that? Oh my gosh.
1: So, but I mean, I I, I bring this up, uh, you know, just to say I feel like my mind was so molded for I have to like learn a certain way that just being able to take information in in that way I mean I wrestled with so much and had to like process so much inside myself and unlearn different things and and I even said to one of my colleagues like Michael Trout, again, who I mentioned earlier, why am I like this? And he's like, you're doing what a responsible therapist does. You have to wrestle with this. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I was doing what a responsible therapist does. I thought I was going bonkers.
2: Right, right. Well, I think, see, that, and that I think is the one of the prerequisites to learning to do therapy is knowing the difference between being a human doing and a human being. Right. If when you're, when all you are is a human doing, then you need a technique and a checklist. Yes. If you can be a human being, you develop a relationship mm-hmm. with your client and then you choose techniques that after you get to know them and after you've spent time with them and join their life and, and join your lives together, then you choose techniques to bring in. Yes. But if you lead with techniques, then you're actually not only are you missing the point for yourself, but then you're also, you're teaching your client that therapy is about the, about you doing something to them as opposed to, you know, the, the two of you exploring your lives together, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's, we're very vulnerable to that because most people have more experience. I mean, most people I see who have never been in therapy before have seen doctors scores of times, medical doctors right and so their model is you know they lay down they get undressed and the doctor does something to them
1: mm-hmm. right?
2: right and that's kind of their expectation when they come in okay uh, tell me what to do tell me what to know tell me what drugs to take and uh and i'll do it and if you're an insecure therapist and i do i deal with this so it's so hard for new therapists to just sit silently with a client who's demanding. That they, that they do something for them, because it taps into their whole life history about being expected to be the one to take care of things.
1: That is so true. That is yeah. so true. In fact, it's to, you know, in one of the models that I teach, TheraPlay, you know, we're really emphasizing, like, understanding the background of the parent. You know, you can't work on attachment with all of not understanding the parent's own history. And, um, I, I, one of the number one complaints is like you know no they're coming in they're saying I have to like fix the kid I have to do this I have to do that and you mm-hmm. know very much and and they feel this like tremendous pressure it, it's almost i I mean obviously we I, I sometimes feel like uh, this sounds wrong to say from a consumer perspective but like who's in charge here like <laughs> who's who 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 has the training here like why are we acquiescing constantly to to everything not you know funders and you know uh insurance companies and you know you have to use this model or you have to do this so I well, know and, that.
2: that's, and that's what i mean and i think that's one of the many reasons why it's important to go through your own therapy before you do therapy because you kind of have to have a sense of your own solidity yes. as a human being so that you know which pressures to succumb to and which ones not to succumb to.
1: Yes, that, it's, that it's for the best clinical decision and not your unconscious. What you say here? Unconscious assumptions are the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. One of the books.
2: I mean, you know, like I I think one of the one of the most challenging things for me has been, you know, working with children in families where maybe they could be removed from the home, like what's going on could be could be interpreted as significant enough abuse or neglect. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: I know that all of my um, that all of my uh, attorney friends would say, listen, you got to cover your ass. And you've got to report this. But then you get to the situation where, you know, well, I've been to these group homes and I've seen foster parents, and I've, you know, I've been, and I know that there's a very high percentage of children that get put into the system, especially in a place like LA, which was far worse than the thing they were being protected from. Yes. And so then, and, and then it goes back, it's almost like it parallels the issue about social justice. It's like, well, what do you do as a human being? I know that in order to cover my ass, I should do one thing, but Mm -hmm. what decision do I make? And those decisions really have to come from the solidity of knowing who you are and not terror of being found out to be a fraud. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think in some, sometimes you have to be willing to lose your license to do good practice. You know, it just really depends on the, we, we get, uh, life is complicated.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's not the, uh, you know, the, the wonderful people with OCD that run the uh, the boards of, of consumer protection and the psychology boards and all, they all know the right answers sitting in their state capitals, writing the rules. But when you're actually in the trenches and you're working in these very complex social situations, um, they're not there for us. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we have to look inside and we have to discover our own values and our own strengths.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, another thing that you mentioned and write about, you know, in addition to having to deal with um, not knowing is that you have to remain flexible in, in how you're thinking about this and what technique you're it, rather than, you know, the, what we've been talking about, this one size fits all for everybody. And I, when I was reading about that, I think you... I'm trying to remember, I think you even gave an example from chess. Um a, a chess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could maybe you'll want to share that example. But when when I was reading about that, I was thinking about, I do a lot of work with the adult attachment interview, and I am a train coder, and I was thinking about. One of the hallmarks of security is flexibility in one's thinking Right. <laughs> well, yeah. in the AAI. So I was sort of like weaving this all together, again, looking at our own backgrounds and being drawn to these like rigid, like this is what I do. This is how I do it. This is what I always do. So I don't know. Where, where's the question in this? Let's talk about the importance for being flexible. And I love uh, the example of the, the chess person that you mentioned. Yeah, I
2: mean, the Example from chess is that you know, getting running into running into danger or running into problems in life is inevitable, and sometimes you have to retreat, but never retreat out of reflex. Always think about retreat and retreat to a better position. Mm-hmm. That was either Bobby Fischer or Boris Spotsky, one of those old chess masters. But I, you know i think what it what it is i think is executive it's executive functioning at the highest level um and i think the genius of the aai right is using um i'm, I'm assuming that your listeners know about that is that true yeah i think so yes the genius about the aai is that it's not it's not coded based on content
1: yeah. it's
2: coded based on um the ability of someone on Grice's maxims but on the ability for someone to put information together, keep the listener in mind, stay on track, be efficient, be coherent. And what that really reflects is uh, a, a developed and integrated executive functioning that include all of the executive systems, the amygdala system, the parietal and frontal systems for problem solving, the uh, de- default mode network for um, you know for, for self-understanding and understanding other people. And so going back to Mary Ainsworth's observational research in home with parents and children, what she was describing, when she described those parents she was Those mothers, she was describing good executive functioning. They were doing something. They had the flexibility to disattend to what they were doing, reattend to the child. They were um, perceptive. They were good problem solvers. They were empathic and attuned. And then, when, and then they could allow the child to go back to play, and then they could go back to what they were doing. Yes. That's executive functioning, except given our, the, the biases in our patriarchy, we tend not to think of mothers having executive functioning, but that's exactly what it is,
1: Yeah. right?
2: It just hasn't been talked about that way. But good executive functioning means the brain has developed in a way that it's got a balance of all of the vital functions and a communication between those, and that's what gets passed down to a child. Affect regulation, problem solving, the social attunement, self-awareness, the ability to label affect, all of those things come from someone else who can do it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. So, as we're winding down here, I'm thinking, so obviously from this conversation, we know we shouldn't Necessarily, no, so just keep running off for the, for the latest certification that we're being bombarded with people ask about, um, and we're not going to be able to get a certificate in what you teach. Bad <laughs> idea. So, but 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 how? If you were telling therapists, you know, how should they go about getting this broad training that you speak of? How do we encourage them to develop?
2: Well, I would, I think that, um, I think that, you know, that we are a product, like we are really an intersection of, of, of brain and mind and social relationships, right? And so I think that you need, those are where the broad trainings need to come, right? You need to understand how the, the basic biology and evolution of how our brains and, you know, how our brains have come to be what they are, their strengths, their weaknesses, Um, you know, uh, Jonas Salk said a wonderful thing, he said, evolution is both a problem solving and a problem creating process. So what we find if we look Mm. at the evolution of our brains, we see that everything our brain does is the solution to some problem from the past, Mm. but many of those past solutions create problems in the present. Well, a key one is the fact that we have this incredibly powerful fear circuitry that was designed for living a simple life on a savanna somewhere that doesn't match very well with modern society. One of the many examples, right? So I think you need a broad training in understanding how the brain evolved and how it functions. Um, In mind, I think you need a broad training of, you need to understand basic psychodynamic theory Right, and I don't mean Freudian analytic theory, or you know, um, with uh, trains going into tunnels and all of that stuff that you know it gets characterized to be. Mm-hmm. But a, a very basic understanding from a psychodynamic perspective of what's resistance, what's an interpretation, um, what's transference, what's countertransference, because um, those things are all important and relevant no matter what therapy you're doing. Yes and then i think you know the the the, uh, the next piece is the social piece you need to understand systems therapy because every or systems approach because every client we have has a family and if they don't have them outside them they live inside them they have internal objects of all of those family members you know Yes, and then I think finally, you know, the the at the next level, the more um, you know ad, abstract level is an existential humanistic Rogerian understanding, which is really a kind of the foundation of the of the emotional background of the relationship. And That's it isn't true. just reading, you know, reading a, uh, an article on Rogers and saying, okay, this is what he said. You really have to practice what it's what his basic principles are like. What is it like to have positive regard? To you know, to be you know, all to have all of those things. You have to like spend some time with people that know how to do that and get supervised in that and get you know get some feedback about that. You know, go to go to uh, silent retreats for a week and see what it's like being with yourself for a week without mm-hmm. any distraction.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. Um, turn off your phone for a day and see how you deal with that. Right. Yeah, because if you're not comfortable with yourself, you're not going to be able to tolerate the science uh, the silences and really know um, how to be with a client because you'll be too busy thinking about what to do.
1: Yeah, it's true. It's really true. Um, you know, when you were talking about internet addiction and all of these things earlier, it, it's become frighteningly difficult for me to read a book. Right. I mean, the way I used to, I'm like, this is scary. Like, what is happening to my brain? So, you know, I'm, I'm taking hiatus from from these things, but I can really feel it. So, yeah. My,
2: my students tell me that they say, you know, honestly, Dr. Cousley, I don't I didn't buy any of the books because I know I can't read. Right. The only thing I can do is find, you know, I'll, I'll figure out what's in your books by, you know, like going, going to,
1: on YouTube and watching a brief video.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, no. I mean, and, I, and I appreciate their honesty.
1: Yeah. I uh, their hopefully, honesty. hopefully they're not uh, going to TikTok. I mean, that, <laughs> that could be even worse. Wow.
2: I mean, you have to realize that, you know, the the, uh, the uh, social media the monetization of social media is based on time, right? And so what they want is as many swipes and clicks as possible because that's how they monetize. Just like the schools sell degrees and certificate programs, right? Right. Social media sells advertising that's predicated on hits. And so their job is to keep you on as much as possible. So they're, they're, they're competing with each other you know with other social media sites but they're also competing with the rest of your life yeah uh, they want to take up the rest of your life and they also are competing with sleep and so they don't want you to sleep they want you to keep clicking and swiping
0: mm-hmm. and so it,
2: it, you might notice it gets harder and harder to get off the devices yeah. some people are sleep my wife sleeps with the phone near her head now you know I watch I'll go to bed watching you know YouTube videos or documentaries or whatever it's right. like you know, again, it's like this is not going anywhere. But we have to figure out what it's doing to us, and also we have to figure out how do we how do we use the internet as opposed to how does the internet use us?
1: Yeah, yeah, because it feels like we're devolving in some ways.
2: Well, we only attention is a limited commodity, right? And so either you can have deep attention, so you can read a book and focus or you can have shallow attention across 10 or 15 different screens. Yeah. And so I, a student came in, a high school student said, I, I, I think I've had brain damage. I, well, I said, why? What makes you think that? He says, well, my teachers are giving me an assignment that take an hour, they tell me, and it's yeah. taking me 10 hours, so I must have brain damage.
0: Uh-huh. So I said, okay,
2: show me what you do. Right, okay. and so yes, they have the assignment on their screen, but they also are watching a video, they're playing a video game, they're returning texts, they're doing your, they're yeah. Instagramming, they're Facebooking, yeah, right? and they're responding to telephone calls. So yeah, it would take me ten hours too.
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, you have given us so much to think about, and I just love your passion about this issue. You're just. Going kind of counterculture on this, aren't you?
2: (laughs) I guess I'm still a hippie from the 60s. I
1: love it. And, you know, I'm thinking even about uh, the last thought I had here as you were talking is even about the amount of burnout and unhappy therapists and therapists leaving the field I think it's just all interrelated and I think you've given us a lot of things to really think about and how to do this better so it's it wow I feel like I wish this was a series there's so much more I'd <laughs> like to ask you about but thank you so so much for your time and sharing your your thoughts and your wisdom and what what's what's the best place for people to find your workshops should they to a website or what, what, I mean, I know all your books are on Amazon.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I do have a, I do have a webpage, com, and you can come there and, uh, yeah, I just have, I've posted lots of different pieces from the different books and other things like that. I have two wonderful uh, students who who say oh people need to people aren't reading so they need to know this so they'll they'll pick a certain piece out of a book or and then they'll have me look it over and we'll put it up we'll post it on the website. Good. So try that if you want to see more.
1: Good. And and you are involved in the interpersonal neurobiology series which has now sold over a million copies. I saw that. Mm-hmm.
2: I know. I know it's amazing that uh, yeah, it's amazing, given how poorly uh, professional books, uh, you know, sell. That yes. we've, uh, a million seems crazy to me, but, you know, I get we've been at it a while, and some of the books are, are really uh, important and interesting.
1: Yes, it's, it's been fantastic. So, mm. well, thank you again so much. And,
2: You're welcome. Um,
1: I really appreciate your time. So bye-bye, bye-bye. for now.
2: Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchatik.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchatik.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.